watchers in the fourth dimension. My strength is as the strength of ten, but my heart is pure. The monster came! Do not fail, Daleks, you stupid tin boxes. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley, and I prefer to put my faith in the mind probe. This episode, it's the annual Malcolm Hulk Lizard People Extravaganza as we discuss the epic Frontier in Space. But before we talk about that, Julie's going to do the mail. Over to you, Julie. We've got our Season 9 retrospective. Our friend Jam Casey. Well, there are loads of Dudley to come, and some of it's really rather good. I feel like Julie's going to be happy when Jeffrey Burgeon takes over for the mere two stories in the Tom Baker run. Lots of really nice use of woodwinds. <laughs> oh my god. Woodwinds, I'm in, 100%. It's going to be amazing. From the Whovian gal, I feel like I should reassure Julie that there will be a good pirate story before classic Who ends. <laughs> it also comes in a season with strong female characters and great fashion. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on it in a few years' time. First off... <laughs> Great fashion plus pirates. I mean, what else can you ask for? It sounds amazing. No, no zombies. (laughs) Zombies have terrible fashion. Everybody knows that. (laughs) And our friend Beardo Bitniks just simply said, awesome fun. And thank you. We aim to do that. Now for Operation Hellfire for our bonus episode. Nathan Law says, agreed that lately Katie's sounding a lot older than she did when she first started doing audios as Joe. I used to feel like she did an excellent job of recapturing her younger voice, but of course it's been almost 15 years since she started doing them, so it's no wonder, really. It's what happens. (laughs) People age, and they can only do so much with changing their voices. And to be fair, she first was Joe 50 years ago. Wow. That too. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a long time. And finally, for episode of The Time Monster, Beardo Bitnick asks... Does Naked Benton have a chance to supplant Jamie and Julie's heart? <laughs> well, maybe not heart. <clears throat> maybe somewhere else. <laughs> I have to. I was wow. totally going to do that and you stole my thunder. <laughs> I aim to do that, Don, as much as possible. And also, he says, well, to be honest, Naked Benton is the best thing about that weird mess. I don't necessarily think that I can disagree. The men might, but I sure don't. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but it seems like a good bit of this feedback was all centered around me. So I can either blame Anthony for just giving me this feedback or everyone loves me more. (laughs) That's probably true. Wow, I feel like there's no win here for me. (laughs) (sighs) And thank you, everybody. That's it for our feedback. Back to you. Thank you, Julie. And as a reminder to our listeners, we love getting your feedback, thoughts, comments, and questions. And as you've heard, we do try and read them out on the show. So please do get in touch. You can contact us through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, or you can email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. On to our behind-the-scenes segment as we get back to Frontier in Space. This serial has its origins in the production team wanting to do something big for the show's 10th season. Surprise, surprise, that old chestnut. Producer Barry Letts and script editor Terence Dix wanted to challenge the record for the longest Doctor Who story, which had been previously held by the 12-part The Daleks Master Plan in 1965-1966. To that goal, they sought advice from the director of that serial, Douglas Canfield, who basically said, don't do it. Good advice, Dougie. <laughs> and they didn't do it. That was the end of our show. Thank you. 
Dix also had a few concerns around maintaining the audience's attention for a period of three months, <laughs> having had similar concerns when he wrote the war games. <laughs> so with that in mind, it was decided to develop two interconnected six-part stories, and each one would feature one of the Doctor's two most popular enemies. The first serial would feature the Master, while the second one would feature the Daleks. Malcolm Hulk was chosen to write the opening serial and was encouraged to develop a grand space opera, which the show hadn't really attempted since the 60s. And if you think back, even then it wasn't done that well. I'm looking at you, the space pirates. <laughs> the storyline for Frontiers in Space was commissioned in April 1972, and the production team wanted Malcolm Hulk to satisfy a number of requirements. Firstly, in order to reduce costs in an increasingly expensive season, the master was only to feature in four of the six episodes, allowing the production team to reduce the amount of time for which Roger Delgado had to be hired. Secondly, the master was to have employed the Ogrons, who had previously been introduced in Season 9's Day of the Daleks. Letts and Dix believed them to be entertaining monsters and thought that their appearance would foreshadow the revelation that the Master had allied himself with the Daleks, which would, in turn, link into the subsequent serial, Terry Nation's Planet of the Daleks. With a storyline written, Hulk was formally commissioned to write the scripts just a month later under the title Frontier in Space. Note at this point it became singular. Initially, Hulk devised Earth's rival empire as the Andromedan Empire, which eventually became the Draconian Empire. The original intention was for them to be evocative of the European Habsburg Empire, although their eventual depiction was more like that of a Japanese shogunate. As we've previously talked about in previous episodes, there were issues surrounding Patrick Troughton's availability for recording The Three Doctors. And as a result, Frontier in Space was brought forward to be the first serial recorded as part of the show's 10th production block, although it would be third in broadcast order. The second serial, Carnival of Monsters, had of course been recorded as the final serial of the show's 9th production block. Assigned as director, we have the return of Paul Bernard, who had previously directed Day of the Daleks and the Time Monster, and thus had experience directing both the Daleks and the Master, and this would of course be his final time working on the show. Joining him on the creative team, we have the return of Dudders as composer, and Barbara Kluko makes her sole contribution to the show as designer. She's also notable for work on Dixon of Doc Green, The Brothers, Zed Cars, Yeston, and Only Fools and Horses. As costumer, we have the first appearance of the legendary Barbara Kidd. She will go on to design costumes for a total of nine serials during the classic era, before returning to the show for the entirety of series six of the revival under Stephen Moffat. Outside of the show, her other credits include Blake Seven, The Young Ones, Only Fools and Horses, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and Black Mirror. So she's quite accomplished and is still working to this day. After filming had wrapped up, Barry Letts was reportedly unhappy with the ending of the serial as he felt that it relied too heavily on the scrotum monster, I mean the Ogron Eater, <laughs> which was not particularly well realised, and he asked Terence Dix to rewrite the ending. The timing meant that it could only utilise the Doctor and Joe as it had to be filmed as part of the following serial, Planet of the Daleks, and was consequently directed by the director of that story, David Maloney, and not Paul Burnett. During production of this serial, Roger Delgado told Barry Letts that he wanted to wind up his time as the master. Many producers of other shows believed him to still be working full-time on Doctor Who, and so he was struggling to find other work. It was agreed that Delgado would feature in one more serial in season 11, in which the master would sacrifice his own life to save the Doctors. With that in mind, Barry Letts and Robert Sloman began writing a script that was initially titled The Final Game. 
However, this serial would never be made as Roger Delgado tragically lost his life on the 18th of July 1973 in a traffic accident in Turkey. Frontier in Space was his final involvement in Doctor Who. The serial itself was broadcast between the 24th of February and the 31st of March 1973. So with the slightly sad ending of that, we will move into our short summary, which will hopefully be fun and entertaining, which I'm going to place in the hands of Don this time round. No pressure, John. Wow. Thanks for that lovely intro. <laughs> Sorry. All right. The Doctor and Joe arrive in a period of escalating tension between humans who throw out due process at the first opportunity and exile their political opponents to a prison on the moon and the Draconians. Sexist conehead lizard people. Enough with the lizard people, Malcolm. We get it. After an endless cycle of imprisonment, interrogation, political discussion, and more padding than a mattress factory, they eventually discover, because he shows up and tells them, that the master is behind the whole thing, and he's hiring Ogrons to attack each side ships. It was me! In a climactic battle on the Ogrons' homeworld between the humans, Ogrons, and even Daleks. That's it. My summary just kind of ends... <laughs> without any resolution much like the story exactly <laughs> nice all right let's discuss this one it starts with some terrible terrible model work probably the worst we've seen since the show went into color yeah it was funny because at first i thought oh that's actually decent mo oh wait a second yeah it turned bad really fast it's very 70s also costumes what's happening with these costumes Especially once we get to like the military and those weird helmet things where it's like earmuffs made out of metal, but it doesn't cover their scalp. So like they're going to get their skulls crushed. The first costumes you see that they're wearing, the pilots are wearing, it's like, okay, we're getting a lot of bulkiness on their shoulders and around their wrists. And then when like the military police show up, they're even more bulky. I was... I <laughs> I just started laughing. I'm like, oh, wow. So is the next person to come in like dressing like one of those inflatable sumo suits or something where they're just going to be like nothing but padding as they walk into the door? And that would have been great. That's how they show their rank. Hey, man, there are seatbelts on the spaceship. This is clearly a safety first society. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what we'll say. Also, I love how like we immediately get to, uh-oh, TARDIS, what are you doing? Just spinning around in space? What's wrong with you? Yeah, it's an interesting start, for sure. The only thing I can say is that for once, Joe is wearing something practical, and she's not going to show anyone her panties because she's not wearing a skirt, <laughs> and it's not white, so it's not going to get dirty. Here we go, finally. Something. Hey now, let's not forget that white pantsuit was miraculously resistant to dirt. <laughs> and of course, it takes them all of about two minutes to get captured. Oh, of course. And there's number one for getting captured. I think that first cell, that must have been a really expensive set because <laughs> they had to use it a lot. You know, as sets go, it actually looks pretty good. And that's pretty, you're right. That's probably why they used it so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, they don't actually get locked up until after the draconian raid on the spaceship. And I do actually want to talk about the one thing I think this story does well, and that's the world building of this extremely bleak future. That's true. I will agree with that. It takes like a lot of episodes, and that's the only stuff that's actually happening. Yeah. 
Like, I wish there was an interesting story wrapped up in this dystopian human future where, again, to your point, Don, it's kind of tyrannical in the fact that they lock up their political prisoners for life on a penal colony. And then this actually quite interesting Draconian Empire. It's just a shame there's not a good plot to go around it. I agree. I actually really like the Draconians. I think they're pretty well realized. The thing I hate about them is the fact that they are very misogynistic, but we'll get there. That doesn't rear its ugly head until a later episode, which I find really interesting. And I'll go ahead and bring it up now. We're already talking about it. (laughs) How do the Draconians, like, they're so misogynistic, and yet the president of Earth is a woman, and, like, they deal with her on a regular basis. So I'm like, how hasn't this really come out before i found that interesting diplomacy (laughs) i'm gonna say i'm sure they just hold their noses and deal with it when it's the actual leader of the opposite power whereas if you're not someone important get back in the kitchen which it it (laughs) must be difficult because the president is a woman they've got that going on and the person at her side is the guy that started the last war because he's an idiot yes yes (laughs) despite the fact that he and i share a last name (laughs) I claim no responsibility. He is not my future descendant. <laughs> I love the president, though. I love her. I think that she's a pretty strong character because she stands by her ideals. She's like, I'm not leading us into war. That would be stupid. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah, I think after some of what this era has given us, where we've had stories that have had no women, basically, it's really cool to have a very strong female character as the leader of a galactic superpower. That's one of the few things that made me very happy. She kind of reminded me a little bit of the female president in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I see that. In fact, while I was watching this serial, I couldn't help but see some similarities to Battlestar Galactica. Two rivals, powers, and a lot of space battles and traveling around and treaties and wars and such. Just kind of feels that way. I really thought you were going to say, and while I was watching this... I decided to stop it and play Battlestar Galactica instead. (laughs) That would have been a good choice. (laughs) We brought up the Draconians, but could we discuss their costume and especially their makeup? I thought their makeup job was great. Very good. Very well realized. Yes. Again, the Draconians, I think, is one of the best realized alien species that we've seen in a long time. In fact, they were John Pertwee's favorite. He's quoted... And I've got the quote right here. I thought the Draconian's head was marvellous. It added dignity to the actor who played it. I was a firm advocate of the half mask using the human eyes and mouth. Then you could bury the nose, bring out frontals over the brows, add lumps and warts as with the Draconians. And as long as the mouth and the eyes can move, you've got this great effect. As you saw with the creatures in Planet of the Apes and the Man-Apes in 2001 A Space Odyssey. John Pertwee, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Fair enough. It's hard to disagree with him. Very good points. I really like that. One big comment. Sorry, I'm going to move away from costuming for a second here. I think we're taking a step back in the music department. We've gone into much more, uh, what's it called? Synth. Synth and no other real thing. I mean, obviously we get some themes back, but I'm just not happy with it. I do recall there was a very interesting instrument, like a percussion, like a little like scratchy kind of percussion instrument of some sort that was used in one part of the serial that I just was kind of shocked by. It came out of nowhere and you're like, where did the synth go? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To get back to the actual plot, turns out we've got Earth and Draconia heading towards war. No bueno. And it takes all of 11 minutes for the Doctor and Joe to get locked up for the first time. So count number one on that. 
What was really funny to me about this original setup is I thought it would have maybe a future point why it was brought up, but it's a cargo ship. It's an intergalactic spaceship that's carrying flour. <laughs> Unless there's some sort of canon or backstory about how flour is a very rare resource, that's like having a solid gold dump trunk carrying sand. It's just like the the value of the ship is so much more than the cargo. I believe it's probably something that's not explicitly stated, but I think one of the reasons why we have this empire is because natural resources are scarce on real earth and so they're in all of the colonies. So that would be my assumption is why the flower is such a big deal. But that is my headcanon. Right. <laughs> it feels like it feeds into that same kind of dystopian view of earth that you get in the mutants like yeah. where they talk about earth basically being a wasteland yeah because there's that there's the whole broadcast where they're talking about population control and then they have like new glasgow new montreal so yeah i think it's very much a people are leaving earth for reasons and i just kind of assumed that natural resources were just not available i always enjoy world building like that it's such an easy thing to do, and, and I don't think it's too much of a cliche, but I do like world building like that, where on the television screen, you have some sort of news report that kind of colors in everything, so you get an understanding. There's one specifically in another episode that I'm gonna, I plan on touching upon, but I do like their use of those few times when they showed the news. I thought they did it sparingly, but they did it enough so that it made an impact. And that was very progressive as well for the time. They had a black newsreader at a time when there were no black newsreaders on TV in Britain. This was a couple of years, I think Sir Trevor MacDonald started reading the news in the mid to late 70s. So he was a few years off still. So yeah, I love that mechanism as well. We've got Ogrons, not Draconians. They're using this hypnotic thing. Was anyone surprised by their return? Surprised, but also I'm very happy to see them. I think they have a lot of potential. They amuse me tremendously. I like the Ogrons. I agree with that. And then, but immediately when it was, there's Ogrons and there's this hypnosis thing. And I was like, the master is doing that. <laughs> I figured it out. It was really easy. Basically, straight after this, we get the doctor and Joe back in the prison cell. I still counted this as just once because it was the same prison cell. Oh, no, no, no. They keep going in and out. I'm counting it every time. <laughs> All right, this is the second time then. I'll add one to each of my count. And... Doctor gets shot. That's the end of our... And they get out. And the hypnosis is confusing the two cargo pilots. And he gets shot. Which is really strange because it's actually not the cliffhanger. It, nope. it He, he <laughs> recovers... And then we move on. It's very strange. There are a couple of instances like that where it's like they have what would have been a perfect cliffhanger and then they just keep going. So one could say that they have a problem with endings in this serial. You could yes. definitely say that. Yes. <laughs> They're accused of being traitors and helping the draconians. And that's our cliffhanger. Episode two, which starts with an unnecessarily long recap. Two minutes yes. and 19 seconds. Jeez. And there are other episodes where the recap seems to be about 10 seconds. Yes. I don't understand their logic here. Actually, I think I actually have an idea, though. So if you look at the actual overall episode lengths, mm -hmm. I think they try to keep them at what, around like 24 minutes or so. Yeah, that's about right. So this episode was 24 minutes. If it didn't have that two minute long <laughs> recap, they would have had to fill in another two minutes. Yeah. So that's what I think. 
Another prison cell conversation. Bam, you're done. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we've touched on the world building, but beyond here, there's not a lot to talk about for the next few episodes. Don was not wrong when it was lock up, escape, interrogate, rinse, repeat. And don't forget the other part of it is that the interrogation, and it's always the no one believes the doctor and Joe. And not just that, it's also they're always accused of working for the other side. Every time. One thing we do get out of all of this is we do get some pretty good Joe and doctor moments. So in episode two, we have first Joe trying to come up with her ideas of escape which was adorable. And then the doctor's like, well, we're going to Earth, so there's no reason to escape right now, Joe. And she's like, oh, I guess you're right. But he was nice about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, he was. And then he told that little story. And I was just like, okay, that's a cute little story. And then he's talking about another moment with the third intergalactic peace conference with a giant rabbit, a pink elephant, and a purple (laughs) horse with yellow spots. Yes. (laughs) And I just love how Joe reacts to all of that. She's like, that is ridiculous, Doctor. That's why it broke. And he's like, but it was true. I have this theory. It's my own headcanon about the third Doctor, which is that 99% of the things he says is complete bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) especially Uh, anything referring to a past adventure oh i did this i don't think you did i think you're just puffing yourself up or i think as you said when we did the time monster don just trying to make joe feel better Mm -hmm. little column a little column b let's talk about the main thing that i thought was ridiculous here that the draconians are all down for just breaking into earth prison facilities (laughs) causing a diplomatic incident to break out the Doctor and Joe. What? <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense whatsoever. And then before they even get to that point, before they put their plan into action, I mean, I thought it was hilarious. They started doing that little trope of, I'm talking about this, but I'm not saying it very clearly. I'm being very coy. And I'm thinking, why are they doing this? Do they think their office is bugged? Probably. I mean, maybe, but this is after they already just said what they were kind of planning on doing. I don't know. I think it's a matter of being able to say, I really didn't say anything. So that's all it is, is being able to say, I never asked him to do it. It's the evil genius ploy where you have an undercurrent. But here's the thing. As a manager, you have to take responsibility <laughs> for the actions of your people. Like, wait, come wait, on, wait. guys. No, you, Anthony, you're talking about a good manager. Ah, okay. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Not my fault. I've never been a bad manager. <laughs> so if I remember correctly, their reasoning for wanting to break them out was because they wanted to ask them more questions privately? After the president had just agreed to a joint questioning session. Yes. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. It really is as dumb as it sounds. It actually reminded me of the evil genius sketches from the Mitchell and Webb look. Yes. (laughs) Where the evil genius is always implying these things and he has one lackey who's like, just to be clear, you're asking us to go and murder this person, right? To death. And that's... (laughs) That's exactly what this is. But you know what we do get? We do get, one, the Doctor and Joe were in a cell on Earth. So that's cell count number two. They go back to that cell. So actually, I think, is that bringing us to four? Because Don wants us to count every time they go back in. It's always a back and forth. And oh my God, so many times. (laughs) That's the first time where they're locked up. So that's second time. Well, if you count Joe being locked up while the doctor's unconscious, that's Joe's second time. So (laughs) 
once they get re-locked up, second time for the Doctor, third for Joe, then they're locked up on Earth, third time for the Doctor, fourth time for Joe, and then... They go back to that cell. After they're interrogated, so fourth Doctor, fifth for Joe. You can go to www.watchersinthefourthdimension.com <laughs> to see the flowchart for this. <laughs> so what we're saying is, this is not a space opera, this is a prison movie. Yes. Well, because you get the doctor being captured. He's not put in a cell, but he is held as a hostage by the Draconians. So I don't know if you want to count that or not. I counted that. He is a prisoner. <laughs> okay, so by the end, we're at six for the doctor and six for Joe because they end up back in their cell in the human compound at the end. At the very end, yes. Before the Ogrons break in masquerading as Draconians. I just want you to know that screwing with your math makes me so happy deep in my soul. <laughs> Additionally, future Earth looks a lot like London's South Bank. I was thinking it looked like a 1960s college campus. <laughs> when you go to London, Riley, go to the South Bank. You can go and cosplay around these sites as a As an Ogron. Yeah, as an Ogron. <laughs> Take your Ogron costume. <laughs> you come. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that and in the voice ask people for directions. <laughs> <laughs> We're back in the cell. Ogron's come to get them. We're at the cliffhanger. Let's go, episode three, with a short reprise this time. Have we made it to the moon yet? Not, no, we're getting not there. Yet. So, first, I want to talk about you got another one of those instances where we see some clips from Earth and it's videos of protests. Yep. And can I say triggered? Because <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was all too real. Them wanting to start a war. All right. That feels real. Talking about having a military dictatorship. Sounds really familiar. Very quickly, Julie, note for the listener, we are recording this on March the 2nd, 2022, about six days into Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. So yes, triggered. But yeah, it just, there's just so many things about this that is worrisome, is reminders of actual real-life things that happen, and it's uncomfortable. And it's from 50 years ago at that. Hmm? But we do start out with the president getting a briefing while also getting a massage. This is the future that liberals want. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. Anytime I'm forced to be in a meeting, I demand to be getting a massage. It's what the company cards for, Don. Yes. That's just smart leadership. <laughs> So General Williams gets what he wants, and they're going to use the mind probe on the doctor. He was so excited about that fucking mind probe. <laughs> what yes, in was. the world was that woman wearing who was running the mind probe? She had like a really bizarre outfit going on. And I was just like, I don't know what's happening with the costuming, but it's bizarre. The costuming for the entire serial is <laughs> really, really interesting and not necessarily in a positive way. Lots of high collars in addition to all of the padding. Oh my god. <laughs> the only one who looks remotely good in that is the master. Oh yes. Yep. But guess what? We're going to dial it up to 12. Yes, to 12. Not 11. <laughs> 12. This one goes up to 12. This one goes up to 12. And nothing happens. Surprise. Yeah, because he's telling the truth and General Williams refuses to believe him, which is the entire thing about this story. Over and over. Hey, when they were writing this, they weren't looking for quality. They were looking for length. Anthony said it in the intro. They were. They were going for quantity. I do like the smile on the doctor's face when the mind probe breaks. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yep. But guess what? He's back to the prison cell. 
He's back to the prison cell. No, because after the mind probe, he doesn't go back to the prison cell. He goes to the lunar penal colony right after the mind probe. Because who needs a trial? Because they're, yeah, they're talking to Joe and at kind of around the same time. And he's like, can I say goodbye to Joe? And then he's like, nope. So he gets taken back to the prison cell. Then they come. Joe has her costume change. Oh, and then yep, he's sorry. taken for his interview with the president. So we're, at, I think right. it's that seventh time in prison for each of them. Yes. Yeah. Regardless, he gets to the lunar penal colony. And so we have more outfits that we can talk about. Which they basically raid from a Taekwondo studio. <laughs> and I want to touch on this again. Sent to the prison on the moon for life without trial. This oh. is horrendous. Yes. Yes, it is. It's really grim. And the peace party is the like highest number up there. They're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's more people on this penal colony than are on Earth. <laughs> I have a pointless Doctor Who nerd question that only Antony can probably answer. <laughs> is this before or after the Cybermen have their hidden base on the moon? I think it's after. Okay. Because I was kind of hoping that Cybermen would suddenly invade the prison and that would have been fun. But No, if I recall correctly, the moon base happens in like the mid 21st century, maybe the 22nd. I think this is meant to be like the 24th, 25th. Yeah, we're, we're several hundred years later. Regardless, we get people throwing out peace signs. Yes. We do. They seem so pleasant. I got to admit, I actually enjoyed the scenes in the characters and the prison, it felt very well rounded. The characters seemed to come to life. It wasn't just the constant back and forth. You got some backstory. There was a little bit of character there instead of just stodgy. I don't trust you. You don't trust yes. me. Blah, 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 blah. It's all about the world building here. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I liked all the new characters that we meet on the prison. They were interesting. They actually seemed like characters instead of being just plot robots. So the doctor <laughs> being on the moon, by the way, eighth lock up for him. Also, they're playing 3D chess. Yes. I am pretty sure it was 3D chess. And they get their food in little sippy cups. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, they do. So I thought that was interesting because this was 1973. So about 40 years before, well, I don't know, 30, 40 years before that bloke developed Soylent. Oh, but no. how long before the Soylent movie? It was before it, I think. Really? Maybe a couple of years. I just want to see behind the scenes for the production of the moon scenes. I just want to hear the the director just shout out, okay, I need costumes. You go to the martial arts warehouse and uh, we need something for them to eat. You go to uh, the children's toys or children's goods and give me some of those sippy cups. Good. We're all set. <laughs> 1973. I was going to say, this serial finished broadcasting on the 31st of March, 1973, Soylent Green came out on April 19th of the same year, two and a half weeks later. Doctor Who did it first, yo. I don't think they would have had time to rip that off. No. no. <laughs> and it was based on a novel. Yeah, I was, was about to in 1966. Ask. All right. Oh, no, we're going down this rabbit hole. Julie's done with you that can't. shit. <laughs> I'm done with it because I want to talk about my favorite thing before we move on to the next episode. Chairs? No, not <laughs> chairs. You never want to talk about chairs anymore. There were some good chairs on the moon. There were. But when the master comes to get Joe and they have this whole exchange was wonderful. The back and forth that they have, the banter. Like we talk about Pertwee and Delgado having good chemistry, but man, Joe and the master going at it. There we go. He confesses immediately as well. Mm-hmm. 
You're right. He does confess, which kind of ruins some of the tension. But they had some good scenes together, not just in here. Yeah. Like even in like five. Really good. Also, he is the only person that looks really good in that high collar. Oh, he's yeah. got that General Zod look going down. On that. <laughs> so we're going to get to the point where we get to the cliffhanger. So we'll go back to the moon. I just really wanted to make sure we mentioned the Master and Joe. But we get to the moon and there's someone who's going to help the professor out to get him off. And he's only allowed two people. And you have that young guy who is like super gung-ho peace party and really should be the one who goes. And the professor's like, no, I'm going to take this doctor dude with me. Poor guy. And he just like accepts it. He's like, yeah, makes total sense. He's signed. That's why the peace party was not strong enough because <laughs> their management, they just don't honor any loyalty amongst people below them. They don't help them out. They keep hiring from outside instead of promoting from within. Yes. The professor's also the only person we've met so far who believes the Doctor's story because it makes sense of the sudden burst of antagonism after years of detente. So he's like, okay, I'm going to take you and we're going to convince everyone. So it kind of makes sense, but I do feel bad for Patel. But we find out that the whole escape plan was a setup. Yeah, because Cross is a piece of shit. <laughs> Cross double-crossed them. <laughs> it's a really dictatorial way of dealing with political prisoners, you know, killed while trying to escape because they're too difficult. Jesus Christ, this is awful. Anyway, yes, episode four, and the professor is useless in this situation. The air is being piped out of the airlock, basically gives up immediately, and then wastes <laughs> oxygen by yelling. Yes. <laughs> because peace party. <laughs> like, do, do you even space? Uh. <laughs> Of course, we get the master saving him, because why not? Who, you know, is as suave as usual, because it's Roger Delgado. But I love all of the crimes that he supposedly committed. There was so much <laughs> tax evasion. <laughs> you have a parking ticket? Some of it was just like... <laughs> I'm so curious as to how not paying tax on a spaceship somehow supersedes betraying Earth to the Draconians. Yeah, in terms treason. Of yeah. yeah. Wasn't he didn't pay taxes on a spaceship he stole? Yes. <laughs> yes. And of course, there was evasion of planetary income tax as well. Mm. Yes. Which I'm not really aware of what income he has at all, but. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. The most ridiculous thing. And I love how, like, the doctor's like, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. And then the master's like, you know, he travels with this female companion. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going. Yep. <laughs> And so the master grabs both of them to go on a, I would say it feels like a car trip, like a road trip. <laughs> yes. He puts them in the back and just goes up to the front, grabs a book, kicks back, reads, and just starts sailing off. And he's listening into their conversation while reading The War of the Worlds. I see what you're throwing down, wink, guys. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Absolutely. But we are in a new cell. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So I think that's number nine for the Doctor, number eight for Joe. Talked about some good Joe moments. I like during their yet another escape where Joe just starts talking and won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> just lull the master. That well, was great. It was wonderful. She's just like telling like life stories, all this other stuff. I conned my uncle into this job. Why did I do that? And then she starts dro name dropping James Bond. And I was like, how fitting since we've got the James Bond doctor here. Don't forget, there's the part where she just is going on and on that she even starts saying, 
I don't think you give the master a fair chance. And what he's offering you, like, how is this not ringing any bells upstairs in the cockpit? Well, he turned the volume down. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. And by the way, I really wish they could have thrown in a little joke when he's reading War of the Worlds to maybe just have him like as he's like turning the page, just kind of have like a sensible chuckle as he's like is reading the book. I don't know why I would enjoy that so much. <laughs> well, we get a spacewalk scene. The course correction comes up and then the master busts Joe. And I love his line of, thank you, Miss Grant. We'll let you know. Like she's been at an audition. I think that's just so well done. So I have one issue with it. So we had all this talk about having airlocks and everything. Yeah. After he gets out of the ship and then there just happens to be this place where you can just open it up and like drop in the cockpit. Like that makes zero sense. You'd still need to depressurize. Yeah, it's, it's pretty poor spaceship design, apparently. These spacewalk scenes were looking good until I think it's the second round of spacewalk scenes where it's okay. I am forgiving for seeing the wire, but when the shadow of the wire is so wide because of how they lit the scene, it looks so poor. It's just, couldn't you have done anything else just to reduce the shadow at least? Hey, it's 1973, man. I also didn't notice that because, like always, I don't pay that much attention to that sort of thing. So there's that. Are we going to consider the master throwing Joe into the airlock as throwing her into a cell? You are no. damn right we are. <laughs> no, we're not. We are not. Yes, That's we are. Not a cell. She is imprisoned in the airlock. She is taken prisoner. It counts. He's just threatening to space her. But she is imprisoned in that room. We were kind of in prison to watch this serial. Does that count as one? <laughs> All right. So nine and nine then, if you're going to you. make us count that. Yes. All right. So then we got someone docking with them. And it's the Draconians. Yay. Surprise. And the Doctor and Joe get put back in the cell. So number 10 for both of them. <laughs> and it was at that time that I felt that the Draconians with their whole, this is Draconian space and how they have kind of bumpy faces. I was thinking uh, a little close to the Klingons here. A wee bit. But this was before the Klingons had bumpy faces in Star Trek. That didn't True. happen for another like six years. Or that, to quote a song lyric, they look like Puerto Ricans in Gold LeMay. <laughs> <laughs> But, Riley, you, you talked about the penalty for violating their territory. So they're very quickly like, this means death. And then yeah. the doctor goes, oh, but I have information for the emperor. And they basically just believe him and agree. And they're like, OK, we'll just take you back to Draconia and introduce you to the emperor. Cool. Yeah, because that's <laughs> what? fine. 100% you listen to your prisoner. Sure. We won't listen to him when he's on Earth, but we'll listen to him if we found him. And I don't I don't know. It's so weird. Yeah. The Emperor's got to be saying, how many times have I told you when you capture someone for being in our space, you kill them there. Don't keep bringing them back to me. <laughs> I don't have time to deal with this shit. There are levels of authority below me that are equipped to handle this stuff. Yeah, come yes. on, guys. This is the ninth space violators I've had to talk to this week. I can't yeah, keep exactly. doing this. Exactly. This guy is in here for jaywalking, and I've had to talk to him for three hours. This is entirely <laughs> your fault. <laughs> But as we're heading into our cliffhanger, I really love how tricky the master is. He goes to sleep while secretly activating his homing beacon, and we cut to an Ogron monitoring that. And that's our cliffhanger. That's actually one of the better cliffhangers of this whole thing. Yes, it oh, is. Oh, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Because we didn't have five minutes of the Ogron piloting the ship after it happened. <laughs> 
And you just have to love the master when he's imprisoned with them. Just his chipper kind of smarmy attitude is just so wonderful. I love once we get into episode five and they wake up and they start landing and he like spouts off that poem or something. <laughs> yes. I was like, Master, you think you're pure of heart? He's so yeah. chipper. He's oh, so, no. so chipper. Obviously a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to see the Emperor of the Draconians. And, and the set looks pretty cool. The set looks cool. We get some great world building as he's talking about there are no winners in war. He talks of the great houses of Draconia. And we get the Doctor knowing all of the etiquette of the Draconian court. We have that. I love the fact that the two empires, you see the president from Earth on one side, you see the Draconian emperor on the other, and neither one of them want to go to war, but their people do. Yeah. And what I really liked here was the Draconian emperor sees exactly what's going on in the same way that the professor did and actually believes the doctor. That's nice. Absolutely. It's about time. But this is where we get the females are not permitted to speak moment. And hey, silence, female. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no she'll cut you i wouldn't do that <laughs> yeah. i know where you live riley <laughs> this was the moment when i originally had that comment of how do they deal with the president being a woman but we've already kind of touched on that but it's just like the most ridiculous thing i wouldn't expect every single species out there to have this ridiculous misogyny and misogynistic thing going on but it seems like that's the case I don't know. No one's as enlightened as we are. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me sad. Here, once the master starts piping up at the court, I really love how that goes. He starts talking about, nobody could be more devoted to the cause of peace than I. And the doctor just responds with, are you all right, dear chap? <laughs> I actually laughed out loud while watching it. Brilliant. Yeah, the facial reactions, both for the Doctor and Joe as the Master is giving that spiel, is quite nice. But Ogron charge, guys. Yeah, Ogron raid. Leroy <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> uh, my favorite Ogron is the really, really tall one. He just seems especially stupid to me. One of them was played by Stephen Thorne, who we previously saw as Azal in The Demons and Omega in The Three Doctors. Oh, that was probably him. He was probably the tallest one, I bet. I actually like these fight sequences because they don't go so over the top and not quite as militaristic as we sometimes get. So it's nice that it was like quick to the point where like, boom, get in there, get the master out and out. I, yes. I don't think they were action by havoc. <laughs> no. <laughs> Riley kind of brought this up, but is it just me? And yes, is an acceptable answer. Were the Ogrons basically too dumb to live by the <laughs> yes. end of the serial. <laughs> I don't remember them being like that in Day of the Daleks, but here they're like, really? They were pretty dumb in Day of the Daleks, but they weren't this dumb. I am not kidding. I would have been perfectly happy if this entire six-episode serial was just the master having to manage the Ogrons <laughs> while trying to pull off his plan. I would love it. It was hilarious. Oh my God. Just imagine like all the behind the scenes work and like the prep work that the master always has to do for his big plans and having to deal with the Ogrons. Normally I would say big finish, are you listening? But now that we know that Russell T Davies is coming back to the modern show and apparently has all these plans for spinoffs, I'm now going to start asking RTD, are you listening? 
Yes. <laughs> the Ogron office is what I want. Yeah. Oh, no. oh, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, even the doctor says that the mind probe won't work on them because they have no mind to be probed. And yet they can pilot spaceships. Yeah. I, I mean, when the Ogron's being interrogated, he's just standing there grinning like an idiot. Yes. What you didn't notice, Don, was that there was a list of instructions on how to do the piloting right next to it. You're assuming he can read? <laughs> um, I think like it's more likely that they can read and follow instructions than to just know inherently how to fly a spaceship. I'm visualizing them like Ikea instructions or just these <laughs> yes. weird pictures. Just stick figures, yes. <laughs> I also love how out of all of the Draconians, going back to the Emperor, he is the most enlightened one because every time Joe tries to speak, you have homeboy saying, females are not permitted to speak. And eventually the Emperor just goes, the female may speak. And what he says is that we must respect the customs of our guests. Yes. But there is one time when Joe just tells him to shut up, which is nice. <laughs> Always nice. Not only is the master, you know, he's with his ogrons, but he's wanting to kill the doctor. And he's like, I need to kill him with a more personal touch. I can't just fire rockets at him. That's fine. He likes it to be intimate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you know, whatever his plan was, it would have worked if he just hadn't gone to pick them up. Yeah. Think yeah. about it. He was completely the architect of his own failure. <laughs> the thing is, though, Don, is you know how the master is. He needs the doctor to witness what he does because he needs to show off. I know, but come on. <laughs> yeah, not his smartest move. Uh. So they're flying back to Earth so that they can get this sorted off with the draconian prince. The master's coming to get them yet again. And before it actually happened, I was like, I bet Joe is going to be kidnapped again. Number Guess 11 what? for her. <laughs> That's always a good bet. <laughs> I was right. Oh, boy. Carried off by an Ogron. Also, his ship withdrew from the Draconian ship without closing the airlock. That is so sloppy. Also, the Doctor and the Draconian Prince should be dead because the airlock was open. Yeah. That's besides the point. My other guess was that, hey, the Doctor's going to probably be captured by the Earth Police. And guess what? He is. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, what's the number count? I don't think we see him being locked up, so I didn't count it. But if we want to, I think that's number 11 for him as well. So we're at 11 each. He was a prisoner. Whether or not he was physically in a cell, he was a prisoner of them. I mean, I was really just trying to get a good count on the amount of times we experience the finest prison cells that this galaxy has that's to offer. <laughs> well... Can't get the good ones without having a few of the questionable <laughs> ones. So eventually we get Williams being a little less of an a-hole. My God, when he finds out that he basically went to war because he's a fucking idiot. Pretty much. How did he get promoted with his complete lack of being able to read a situation? You can tell that this story is very frustrating for me because I am cursing a lot more than I normally do. <laughs> but we're all having fun. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So the previous war was all because of a misunderstanding. Good. As one does. I don't know if anyone's watched Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but the number of times in the early seasons where people just immediately mistrust the Cardassians and throw out slurs for them and call them bloody Cardies and stuff like that. This feels very similar. People just mistrust the Draconians because there was a war previously that General Williams unwittingly started and guys just can't catch a break. They're decent. I mean, they're just as big a jerks as the humans are. Yes. Let's talk about Joe's moment. 
Yes, because that is her finest hour. I enjoyed it so much because first off, the master is showing off his lair, which Joe is not impressed with. <laughs> as you shouldn't be and he tries to mind control her and she does just nursery rhymes yeah she has figured out how to beat the hypnotism oh it's so good i love it so much and it's so nice because again we all know that the first thing that ever happened to her when she met the master was she got mind controlled and she's like never again this is character growth. Again, we've talked about whether or not there's an actual arc for her or whether it all just happens very, very suddenly. But this is character growth, 100%. Absolutely. And I love it. And we get a cliffhanger. He goes to use the hypnotic device. It's a very weak cliffhanger. It, it really is. <laughs> and we didn't even mention this is the second time we've seen a dragish again. A drashig? Drashigs, that's right. Sorry, dishrags. Dishrag. Dishrag. <laughs> dragish. I mean, it's the same letters. So episode six... It's a nice callback to the prior story. I feel like we've had Drashigs, we've had mentions of the events of the War Games when the Doctor was telling Joe stories. There are a lot of nice callbacks in this. And we got a sea devil. Yes, yes we did. the mutants from the colony in space. Not colony in space. The mutants. Uh, the mutants from the mutants. Yes. <laughs> Joe's able to resist that as well. She is awesome here. Yes, I love it. And she gets locked up into another cell. Yep, so that's, I think that's number 12 for her. Like 115 at this point. <laughs> and she gets fed really appetizing looking food, I must say. And she's like, what can I do with the spoon? I'm going to dig a hole. Yeah, yeah why not? It's fine. Yep. That escapology paying off again. <laughs> I don't think we've made mention that we've had a quarry now. Yes. We have. <gasps> quarry, quarry. Quarry, quarry. Plus one. Yep. And we'll see the same quarry next story for something else. <laughs> <laughs> sounds kind of threatening <laughs> i have to say that the highlight of episode six for me was because we don't really have an ending is because the character on the screen in the president of the earth's office oh the ott american yeah it was saying war 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 i loved that character <laughs> like the way he was talking his voice it was perfect his look was great i swear 30 seconds after he finished up his bit, I think he went off to do a used car commercial. I, I really <laughs> do think so. Because, man, he was perfect. Absolutely perfect. What we do get, though, is the Draconians firing on a ship that has their own prince inside. But they don't know that, to be fair. Because Williams won't even let him try to use the radio. Which is dumb. Yes. yes. <laughs> Again, I am disclaiming him. He is no descendant of mine. <laughs> No one related to me would be quite that stupid. <laughs> I hope. But yeah, it just, it's so bizarre. There's that going on. And the doctor has to go outside again because they've damaged the ship and someone has to repair it. And oh my God, the tension. Of the wires <laughs> holding him up <laughs> yeah. as he's hanging in that set. Yes. Let's move on to something positive. Here's something positive. I enjoy the shootout scene in the quarry in episode six. You know why? It's not eight minutes of footage of unit firing guns. It's on an alien planet with humans, ogrons, draconians, and a ball sack with googly eyes on it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Let's be honest. The ball sack monster is what killed Paul Bernard's Doctor Who career. He never comes back <laughs> after this. What I don't understand is it does nothing. And it was meant to do a lot more. So at the end, there was meant to be a whole thing about the Doctor using the fear machine on the Ogrons and he would turn into it and that would lead to the Master being defeated. And 
they filmed it and Barry Letts hated it. And so they refilmed it. So the Bullsack Monster gets this one-off appearance and we never see it again, which is candidly probably for the best. I don't know. At least that would have been an ending. So that's where our ending went. <laughs> we'll get back to that because I want to talk about the Master and his allies. The Master selecting his allies makes zero sense. First, he chooses a race so dumb that they can't follow simple orders and then he chooses another that wants to actually take over the entire galaxy, which is not in line with his plan. So I'm like, why did you choose these people as allies? You guys let me have Earth, right? That's cool. I get Earth, right? <laughs> and he only wants on, to fuck with the Doctor, let's be honest. It is an epic moment where he's at the top of that quarry and he's like, I've brought some old friends and the Daleks appear. That's pretty cool. But after that, and they're like, Let's exterminate the doctor. He goes, no, no, let's make them suffer. And then the Daleks agree, because this is a great idea that has zero risk of the doctor escaping. <laughs> also, their voices are really bad in this serial. Yes. What the hell? They're better than the original Day of the Daleks, but they're still not great. And of course, they pretty soon disappear off to go to their base to prepare their invasion, which is the only thing that links this to the next serial, because we have to go and stop that. I do like the master dissing them when he gets off the radio with them. Yes. Oh, yeah. That yes. was enjoyable. Trash talking them. Yeah. <laughs> but we do have to add to the prisoner count because they get locked up again. I think that's 12th time. I've lost count at this point. I think it was, was definitely at least 13. I think we got a Baker's, Baker's dozen. dozen. That yes. was 13. Okay. 13 times in six episodes. <sighs> We finally find out the plan. The Daleks want to set Earth and Draconia at war so that they can take over in the aftermath. What? <sighs> it's everything's fine. That just seems needlessly complicated. The Daleks probably don't <laughs> need to do that. They could just come in, invade. It'd be great. <laughs> Fun for all the family. And this is where we get the absurdly rushed ending because the Doctor adjusts the fear device, escapes by appearing to the Ogron as a Dalek. That part I was okay with. It's what comes after that. Yes. I noticed, and I'm assuming our two film nerds probably noticed, there's a very jarring switch in the style when you can tell that David Maloney directed versus Paul Bernard. Maybe I just noticed it because I knew it was there. I just know that the ending, blink and you miss it. Yeah, I had to rewind and go, what just happened? <laughs> Doctor gets shot, stumbles into the TARDIS, sends a message to the Time Lords and cliffhanger into the next serial. Because guess what? We need the Time Lords again. I was very much wondering, okay, well, did we win? Have we prevented the <laughs> war? Can we have some kind of closure? No. Ugh. I kind of assume that the Draconian Prince and General Williams will go, yep, we validated the Doctor's story. We're not going to go to war. So now the Doctor and Joe have to go and stop the Daleks and their army. You can assume a lot of things. You can assume that they got killed and didn't get a chance to. You know, you gotta close up all these threads just a little bit. <laughs> I'm headcanoning this. They go off and prevent the war. Ugh. But yeah, it's sloppy. It's really sloppy. So with that, let's rate this thing. I did think it was impressive that we had no instances of Pertwee Gurning, despite the number of times he was shot, stuck in space, captured, recaptured, etc. I thought that was some good work on his part. Okay, I get to start this time. And generally, I, the only thing this serial did well... Well, I guess a couple of things. Two things the serial did well. One was some of the interpersonal connections. It is a delight to see Pertwee, Katie Manning and Delgado on screen together. They very clearly enjoy each other and have a great rapport. That's delightful. 
And I know I've also commented on the world building and the picture of this future that this serial sets and the way the draconians are built up. It does world building really well. But equally, the plot is horrendously tedious. It really is capture, interrogate, escape, rinse, repeat. Some of the acting is subpar, I would say. And candidly, some of the characters are just terribly incompetent. I've already said that multiple times about General Williams. So all I see here is a significant amount of missed opportunity around the excellent world building. So for me, I'm going to give this five endless prison cells out of 10. Don, on to you. This one I did find difficult because, as you may have noticed, I've complained about a lot of stuff in it. And it was easy to sum up because it was the same thing over and over as we discussed. But there's some good stuff in there, too. There's a lot of the character interactions there. As Anthony mentioned, some really great world building. There's a lot to like, and there's a lot to just kind of sigh defeatedly and wait for it to get on with it. So I, I think Anthony called it. So I'm giving it five googly-eyed ball sacks out of ten. <laughs> okay, Julie. There's good and bad. We've talked about the good quite a bit, the world building. I actually like how like the Ogrons were used. I liked the personal connections that we got with the Doctor, Joe, and the Master. Enjoyed all of that. I actually really liked, again, I really like the Draconians in general. That's like one of the better alien species that we've gotten in a long time. But move on to what was bad. And that's the plot, the music. The costumes, <laughs> a lot of those the like catering <laughs> the essential things where you look at the list and you're just like, I can probably point to those people in the end credits and be like, why weren't you doing your job? Why weren't you doing your job? But I think that there was more good than bad. So I'm going to be a little bit kinder than my co-host and I'm going to give it six earmuff helmets out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> and then last but very much not least, Dr. Shrek. This is an epic without any sort of engine. The <laughs> sets are great. The setup is grand. The production value is uh, good for the show at the time. But what is at the heart of it? Not much. I will wrap up with a quote from a film character played by an actor dear to my heart. I will say this to the creators behind this that were seeking to make the longest who story. You were so busy wondering if you could. You never stopped to ask if you should. <laughs> I give it five Taekwondo students out of 10. Okay, so that gives us a story average amongst the four of us of 5.25, which makes it the worst Pertwee story we've had so far. And yet none of us actually hated it. Right. The last time we had a story worse than this was The Space Pirates, which we gave 1.5. So, <laughs> you know, go figure. All right, with that, we have reached the end of the episode. We will continue this story next time as we move on to Planet of the Daleks. But for now, as always, thank you so much for listening. And in the meantime, have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Too Dumb to Live, was recorded on Wednesday the 2nd of March 2022. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, 
please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, make sure you properly wrap up storylines before moving on to the next one. It's important, especially when the next one carries on directly from the one that you haven't properly wrapped up.